Welcome to Talking All Things Cardiopalm. I am your host, Dr. Rachel Barisi, physical therapist and board-certified cardiopulmonary clinical specialist. This podcast is designed to discuss heart and lung conditions, treatment interventions, research, current trends, expert opinions, and patient experiences. The goal is to learn, inspire, and bring cardiopalm to the forefront of conversation. Thanks for joining me today, and let's get after it. Hello, hello, and welcome to today's episode of Talking All Things Cardiopalm. I am your host, Dr. Rachel Barisi. Our episode today is sponsored by Jane, an all-in-one practice management software. The team at Jane recognizes how hard you work to support your patients or clients, and they aim to do the same for you. That's why Jane offers unlimited phone, email, and live chat support with every subscription. First, we recommend booking a personalized one-on-one demo with a member of their team. It's a great way to make sure that Jane will be the right fit for you and your practice and to see Jane's features in action. And Jane even offers a free data import, an account setup consultation, and online training tools to help set you up for success. To get started, head over to jane.app backslash start. Their team would love to connect with you and see how Jane could help you and your practice. You can also use Cardiopalm 1MO at the time of sign up for a one month grace period applied to your new account. Thanks again, Jane. All right, welcome back. Today is Monday, um, February 12th. So we are heading out to CSM tomorrow, Nikki and I. Um, and we, we made it to this moment. Uh, it's been a wild week. Everyone's good to go. Um, but there is a nor'easter coming up the East Coast. So I'm going to need everyone to put their good juju out in the universe. And now you're not going to be hearing this until I'm likely in Boston, but we're just going to manifest good travel. Okay. Um, so we're supposed to be heading out tomorrow, going to get to Boston uh, probably by early evening. And uh, we were actually planning to be there basically on time because I was supposed to present at pre-con, but pre-con was canceled. So we actually have a free day in Boston on Wednesday. And we're hoping that's the case because we really, um, Nikki's never been to Boston and we wanted to explore a little bit and have a little bit of downtime before the hustle and bustle of CSM. So I'm not going to go too much into CSM this week. We'll probably chat about it next week. Um, I think CSM is a wonderful experience, uh, just brings a lot of energy. So I'm excited um, to come back with new information, new ideas, and just that um, energy. And that energy is something real. So super excited for that. If you are listening this week, because it will be Wednesday, right at the start of CSM, and you are at CSM, and you see me, and we've never had a conversation, but you know who I am, please stop me and say hello. Um, it's nice to meet people who listen to the podcast, who follow on Instagram. And if we've chatted in the DMs, please like tell me who you are. Um, I think the internet is like the wildest thing, right? I grew up in the time frame where... I can remember not having internet. I can remember the start of what internet was. Like I, internet to us was AOL. And (laughs) this is funny because this is how my mother still thinks the internet is. Like my mother thinks AOL is the internet. And fair to her, because when we first started out with like dial up, 
we would get access to the internet via AOL CD. So like the CDs would come in the mail and it would be like this free, um, it would basically like, it would be basically like free access from an app, but instead of an app, it would be a CD. So you would plug the CD into your uh, hard drive of your computer and then it would basically bring up the AOL software and then you would dial it. Um, and I don't know if there was like expirations on these things, but like you would get them every few months. Like, I don't even remember the details of them at this point. So, um, like I watched the internet happen. I didn't even have Google, like a true internet experience when I was in grad school. So I was in grad school. I graduated from grad school in 2013 Googling was like just starting and it wasn't very robust. We, when I was in grad school, I didn't even have text messaging on my phone. I still had a flip phone and texting was like really brand new. And I remember it was probably the first month of the PT program. Like, you know, you start to make friends and like people want to meet up for lunch and people were texting. And I was like, you sit across the room from me. I, you need to stop texting me. I pay by the character. So um, it wasn't long after that. I think it was probably maybe the year I graduated from grad school that texting was more of a thing. And that year was like the first year I got a smartphone and that was a BlackBerry. So again, not super functional. Like you had email, you had some search capabilities and that was about it. Um. I don't remember why I'm talking about the internet, but I was in, oh, the internet's a wild place. That's why. Uh, <laughs> um, so I really didn't have much of a social media presence. Like people had like made me get a Facebook. Um, and that was right around when I graduated from PT school. So like 2013. Um, and then in general, I just didn't have a big presence online because of my personal life. Um, so meeting people on Instagram wasn't really ever in my foresight of things that would happen. So creating all things cardio palm Instagram was a big deal. Um, and it's been wonderful. And I have met so many people across the country. Um, I have a wonderful business community of people who I've had conversations with, like about life and goals and all the things for months and then, for instance, I had a business conference and met these people in person for the first time. And there was like the scary feeling behind it. But also, I knew these people. And that, I guess, is a just a weird thing that like you can have these genuine relationships with people that you've met through Instagram, through Facebook, whatever platform you're using, and then meet them in person. Um I mentored two, two people from 2022 to 2023-ish, like time frame, about a year and a half, um, one of which sat for the CCS, and one was um, new to cardiopalm and faculty. And so I mentored through like a year and a half on Zoom. And we met twice a month, actually four times a month, um, you know, chit-chat about life and things and get to know these people. And it wasn't actually until this Christmas that I realized that I haven't met 
these people in person. So one of the two people is actually within driving distance. Um, and so I did a drop off for cookies instead of shipping them through the mail. And um, I just asked him, I was like, hey, are you home? Because if you are like, I just realized that we haven't actually officially met in person. And he he's like, I had the same thought. And so it was so it was so funny because it wasn't strange. It was like I have known this guy for a year and a half, right? Um, so the point of all this is relationships that are built in this new space is very real and can be very genuine, genuine. And I hope I come across that way because I am I am who I am. I'm a very transparent person. Um, what you see is what you get. And um, you know, if we've chatted through DMs, please say hi because it's nice to put a face and a name, it just kind of makes that connection even more um, whatever. I don't want to say real because it's real. Anyway, if you're at CSM, reach out to me, um, say hi, let's take a selfie. And I you know I might have some like, you know, swag on me. I don't know, just just saying things, things might happen. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about today's topic. Uh, I wanted to talk about my patient with a tracheostomy, just go through his case a little bit. We're not going to go too in depth in his pathophys because I actually, um, his history was so long that I don't have all the nitty gritty details. And actually the start of his diagnosis wasn't really cardiopulmon based, but it ends in a cardiopulmonary uh, issue. Um, so here we go. We have a 76 year old male he had a large thyroid goiter, 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 and he had uh, removal of said goiter, and that was a few years back, which kind of led him to getting a tracheostomy. That's like the opening to his his case. Um, he was recently readmitted to have a revision of his tracheostomy, and. Um, he at the time of eval was on room air. He was on FiO2 21% via trach collar with humidified air, heated humidified air, I should say. Um, he was having some dysphagia, so he was already evaluated by speech, and they had put him on a minced, moist, mildly thick diet. He was just starting on a Passimir valve, and if you're not familiar with a Passimir valve, it's a speaking valve. Um, so essentially, it covers the trach. It's a one-way valve, um, and the purpose of it is when we cover the trach, it actually allows air to be able to move up past the vocal fold so that we can make sound. Um, so he can pull air in on inhale, but on exhale, it won't leak out the trach. It's going to pass up through the valve. Um, and he was having some issues with that. He felt um, short of breath. He really had some anxiety. That was like a big handoff that I was given about this patient, that he was very anxious. He was a little bit particular. Um, he had declined therapies in general based on like timing, if it wasn't good timing for him. Um, but all of this was related to this um, goiter that he had on his thyroid. When actually getting his history, um, this had been very long-standing. He had multiple surgeries. He actually went home on a vent at one point instead of going to long-term care. And he basically had 24-7 support from his family and they all traded in and out. Um, and they were all 
uh, trach and vent trained, which I think is phenomenal. Um, and they were very knowledgeable and they were very capable. Um, they were they were truly wonderful. I met uh, two of them during our visits. So uh, this was a really fun case for me because as a PRN, I don't always get a lot of carryover. Um, but I was able to see him three days in a row. I actually treated him twice. On the first day that I met him, he did decline, um, but I really made it a point to build rapport with him. And we talked about timing and we talked about benefits and all of the things. Um, and when I came in the second day, he was very willing to work with me. He was very excited um, to work with me. And he got more interested as we were doing more, more like chest exam stuff. Um, and that he hadn't had that before. So as I was evaluating him, um, he did not have his passy mirror on. Um, his daughter was in the room, which was helping with some of the in-depth conversation. Um, but I'm pretty good at reading lips. It just gets a little bit dicey when they start speaking at like uh, normal cadence and, um, you know, don't take a break for you to to confirm the, the statements. Um, if you work in the ICU, you start to get better at that. And if, if you're not, I would recommend trying to, um, you know, pay attention to lip reading and it, it can help the patient feel more comfortable. He was capable, he was able to like write his needs if needed. And he was actually strong enough that he was starting to make sound with the trach open. Um, so we actually had pretty, pretty good conversation. Um, but he was very, mucusy. Uh, he had a lot of secretions. He was still being suctioned to remove said secretions. On auscultation, he had pretty coarse ronchi or coarse wheezes, the other terminology, but pretty apparent. This was one of those guys that I wish I had my uh, stethoscope that records because it was like perfect ronchi. It's got that like snoring, gurgling sound on um, he was actually both inhale and exhale. Um, and it was throughout, but he had some diminished breath sounds. And actually, um, while we were, I was auscultating and doing chest exam on him, I noticed some like contour differences on his ribs. And he actually had a fall at some point with multiple fractures. It sounded like he had a flail rib cage. And so a flail rib cage is when you have a fracture in two places that basically displace a middle section of your rib cage. And that middle section is basically free floating. So when you inhale and your chest is supposed to be coming up and out, that section is just getting sucked in because it's not really attached to anything. A flail chest is a medical emergency. So I don't know the details behind that. He told me most of it. Um, so I only got so much of the depth. And I didn't have enough time to like get the whole history. Um, but he actually had removal of portions of his ribs in certain spaces. Um, and so it was interesting. He had some removed on the back end, uh, posteriorly, as well as anteriorly. And I really wish I was able to kind of dig in a little bit more because I would have been some interesting uh, information. What was even more interesting was that the left side of his rib cage is where he had those fractures on chest wall assessment, the left side of his rib cage actually had better excursion than his right. But he also had increased mucus throughout his right side, anteriorly, posteriorly, upper, 
middle and lower lobes. He had positive frematis. So just placing your hands on his chest wall, you could feel that increased vibration when he was either breathing or speaking. Um, <clears throat> I tried to get him to uh, utilize his passy mirror during our session, but he had declined. Uh, he was wearing it earlier in the day and felt that it wore him out. And because we were just starting to make a little bit of rapport, I was only going to push so much. Um, so one of the prior notes, um, he had done some marching in place. He had done some uh, seated exercises and he, I think, ambulated for the first time 10 feet times two, but needed a seated rest break. So um, I was given handoff that I should take a chair follow, not because he couldn't make the distance, but because he had high anxiety about making the distance. Um, so I was only one person, so I did not have a chair follow. So I did the second best thing and I set up basically three chairs at 10 foot intervals from his room into the hallway and then back. Um, he maintained on room air without um, any oxygen, but he was the gentleman that had that really cool adapter piece, the hydro trach. Um, so we try to utilize the hydro trach uh, to help with some of that humidification piece. Um, and it worked okay, but he was having a little bit more resistance as well because it's kind of like a cap. It has a little bit of an opening, um, but he kept coughing. And when he coughed, he would kind of shoot it off. So it was kind of null and void at that point. He was satting well on room air without humidification. And we just made sure that when we came back, we got him right back on that humidified, uh, heated air. So performing the chest exam, uh, a was fun because he was just like one of those guys where you're doing these things and like, you're excited to, cause like you want to see what you're going to get. So he had positive ronchi throughout. He had some diminished segments on the posterior left upper lobe and lower lobe. Um, he had increased left lateral costal motion compared to right, even though that was aside with his prior fractures and rib removals. Um, he had some ability to activate his diaphragm, but as we talked about in the last episode on tracheostomies, he had his trach open and, um, we tried to utilize the sniff technique to engage that diaphragm and he was able to, but you could tell that you, he lost the force due to the opening in the airway. When he was breathing in through his mouth, he was able to activate his diaphragm with cueing, um, but he was primarily an apical breather. So upper chest was, had increased movement, increased movement compared to his um, diaphragm. I didn't do from it. Um, I didn't do media percussion on him, um, but he would have been a fun one because I would expect to get a dull sound. This is one of those ones, if I had a student with me, I would have done it just so that they could hear it. Um, but media percussion wouldn't give me any additional information that I, I already had. Um, his cough was relatively weak and congested. He lacked inspiration. He lacked a good inhale before his ability to attempt to cough. <clears throat> and then of course, because he's a trach, he doesn't have glottal closure. So he's not able to increase that pressure on the hold, which kind of loses that effectiveness. 
Um, so he was really having some issues with his mucus. It was super thick. Um, his trach tubing, his inner tube was getting gunked up. So he had just had his inner tube cleaned. Um, and that can happen, right? So he has this really thick, sticky mucus. We talked about, um, hydration. And so he was hydrating well. Um, but the other thing that could be done, and again, this is something that I can't necessarily do here, but could be a conversation with the RTs is actually using, uh, saline drops into the trach to help thin that mucus a little bit. Um, and then the one thing that we hadn't tried yet because we were just building some rapport was covering the trach on the actual cough. Um, so we really concentrated on huff cough technique. And he actually said that the night before an RT taught him how to huff cough. And it was the first time anyone had done that. Um, so he was really surprised that I came in and did the same thing. He's like, I've had this trach for three years and no one's ever taught me this. Um, and he was really good. So, um, we, you know, tried to, I try to get him to actually take a little bit of an inhale before he made the huff to give him a little bit more power. And with practice, he actually did really good. Um, so we were able to get up two or three productive mucuses into the trach. And then we were actually able to use just the yonker around the edge to pull up the rest. And then I had the nurse come in and suction him. Um, we also did percussion and vibration. And so he said that was the first time that had ever been done as well. And he really liked how it felt. Um, he satted pretty decent, like 93 to 96 for the most part on his own, like 96 was the best. But when I came in and he was super junky, he was in the lower nineties after we were actually during percussion, his oxygen hit a hundred percent. He, his eyes lit up. He's like, I haven't seen that number. Um, so he was really like excited about what we were doing. And then, uh, so we did percussion, anterior bilateral upper lobes with him sitting in the chair and I had him slouch down to try to get some angling. They're all modified positions. So I don't have them in a true postural drainage position, but, uh, you can, do a decent job with the upper lobes in the chair, the lower lobes, not so much. You'd have to be in a Trendelenburg position to actually get that. Um, and then you'd have to make sure that he's not an aspiration risk. Um, so on the posterior upper lobes, I had him lean elbows onto his knees and we did uh, percussion as well. And I did do some percussion towards the lower lobes, even though he was in that position, just to kind of help break up some of that. When he sat back up, we did vibration. Vibration's like just a cool technique to give a little extra. Um, and some people really love it and some people don't because it's a little bit more forceful in the sense that you're applying pressure to the rib cage and like a down and in force. Um, so percussion, you perform throughout inhalation and exhalation at a pretty rapid pace and you should be using a cupping hand. And if the person is more frail, it's recommended to um, use some padding to basically give a little bit of cushion for them. Vibration is uh, hands to the chest. And uh, a technique I learned from a colleague of mine at U of M actually uses an anterior posterior hand position. And so it's only performed during uh, uh, exhalation. So you kind of follow them through their breathing pattern a few goes 
you follow them through that inhale. And then as they're exhaling, you're applying a pressure down and in as your hands are oscillating, vibrating against that chest wall. And some people love it. They're like, wow, that's the coolest thing I've ever felt. And some people, eh, they don't, they don't love it so much. So if they like percussion more than vibration, use percussion. If they like vibration more than percussion, use vibration. So really just uh, dependent, but you want to be uh, making sure that you're monitoring sats while you're doing any of these techniques. A drop in 4% in your SpO2 is a negative sign or an abnormal sign. So you definitely want to pay attention to your uh, SpO2 during this. We then, after doing breathing exercises and airway clearance techniques, we moved to paired breathing. And we started with bilateral upper extremity movement. We did shoulder flexion with paired breathing. So inhaling on the way up, exhaling on the way down, uh, horizontal ABA deduction, uh, inhaling on the way out, exhaling on the way in, and then shoulder shrugging. And he did great. He was really able to pair. Um, we really talked about only going as far as your breath allows. And because he loses some of that breath, um, once he inhales, like it's kind of just falls out, that exhale time is a little bit less. Um, so he did a really good job. And then we moved to lower extremity and we just did all active range on the first day uh, just to see what his vital sign response would be and to see what his fatigue level was and all that good stuff. Uh, so we did active long arm quads, hip flexion, heel raises, toe raises, and sitting position. And then we did uh, sit to stands as well. And we did standing marching, all of which we worked on pairing our breath with. And then after we took a rest break, we did ambulation with those uh, chairs set up. So I had planned on doing interval walking with him and sitting every 10 feet. And he was super confident. His sats were great. His shortness of breath was none. And he ended up walking, I believe it was, where are my notes? I think it was 30 or 40 feet straight. And then we turned around and came back. So he walked about 60 feet with me on the first day. And we did that two times. Um, so that would still be considered interval training, right? 60 feet, take a rest break, 60 feet, take a rest break. Um, so that basically doubled what he did the day before, actually tripled what he did the day before. Um, and he was way more confident. He was just very appreciative. So he was just awesome to work with. I wish I could have kept seeing him. I was lucky enough and I got him one more day. So the second day we did very similar startup. We started with our warm up, which included breathing exercises, um, paired breathing with bilateral upper extremity and lower extremity movement. Um, and then we, worked on airway clearance to, you know, between the two. Um, we did a five times sit to stand for time on that second day. And he was at 27.65 seconds. So clearly has uh, a lot to work on with potentially stamina and strength. Um, but also there is a balance component in there too. So he is not, he's like halfway from age match control. He should have been less than 12 seconds. Um, and so he's indicative of falls and that is of no surprise. Um, on the second day, we actually doubled his distance and he went uh, 60 feet. No, I lied. He went a hundred feet straight and um we did that twice. So he had an appropriate blood pressure response. He actually increased by about 20 beats, um, 
20 beats, 20 millimeters of mercury systolically. His diastolic was pretty steady. His heart rate increased about 12. Um, and he satted actually, his sats actually improved by 1% post ambulation. Um, so he was just, I love this. I love this case, right? I was, I was like a kid in a candy store, got to do all my chest exam stuff, did all yeah, breathing exercises, taught him some new things that he had never done before, um, had some tricks to help him be a little bit more effective with his cough technique. And I think the biggest part of it all was creating that rapport and giving him some of that control. Um, you can tell that he was in a situation where he's been in this hospital setting for a long period of time. And sometimes when that's the case, you try to take control by controlling the things you can. And sometimes that means declining your therapies. Um, because you're you're going to eat your meal or you're going to, you know, fill in the blank. Um, so building that rapport was key. And um, it also helped increase his own confidence in what he was capable of doing and um, just less anxious overall. Um, so really just goes to show that having those conversations and you know, letting people voice their concerns and learning about their journey and what they've been doing because he, him and his family had a lot of knowledge on trachs and vents. And like I said, I learned from him as well. And I think when you are open to that, um, patients can uh, kind of feel in the lead there. Um, so he was a fun one. Uh, saw him over a three-day period of time, in theory, and in that three days, he made significant improvement. Um, and that actually included talking about inpatient rehab. He he was kind of wishy-washy, maybe going to go home and then go to IPR when he felt ready. He was ready. He was the perfect candidate. Um, and we really just discussed like what that would look like if he went home versus IPR now. Um, and education is is what we do. And that education can look different based on the patient that you have. Um, so don't be afraid to, you know, give advice or give knowledge um, and help your patients understand what their choices are because it allows them to have ownership and it gives them the control back, which is at the end of the day, you know, autonomy is, is everything. Um, when you're in the hospital setting and you don't have control over the basic things in your life, it could feel very out of control. And when you have patients who are in and out of the healthcare system for long periods of time, uh, you can see some of that come out in different ways. Some people might be aggressive or um, standoffish or decline or whatever it might be. Um, and some people can be very particular and seem to want to be in control of the situation. And it's probably because they do. They want to be in control of their own life in some way, shape, or form. So I always encourage my students to understand that the position that they're in right now is not the best place that they've been, right? Like they're in a very vulnerable place. And sometimes we have to kind of pull, put down some barriers to allow them to get the most out of their, their time there and give them the control and independence that they need.
All right. I think that is all I have for you today. Um, if you have any questions, please reach out to me on the Instagrams at all things cardiopalm. You can shoot me a text message. I will have my number in the show notes. And again, if you're at C- CSM and you see me, please give a shout out, say hi, take a selfie. I would love to meet you. Um, I'm very thankful for the people who are here, who are listening, uh, who are engaging. It means the world to me. So I hope you all have a wonderful day. If you're traveling to CSM, safe travels, and I hope to see you there. Whatever you have to do, 